Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. What up with you, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. Today is the day when Tom Brady officially retired. I joked on social media, what? Tom Brady retired? What? (laughs) Uh, So good. So good. So much to get to. Um, During the Brady thing, okay, this this is the question. During the Brady thing, were you a Brady guy or were you, were you doing the voodoo doll hoping that he would lose? Because what I, I think what's changed is Tom Brady, there was a time when Tom Brady and the Patriots, it was like every year they were in the AFC Championship game. It seemed like every year. And it was either against the Colts or the Ravens. You know, the Colts or the Ravens. And it's just fascinating to me on how we've gone from the the world was divided in if you liked or hated Tom Brady to seemingly everybody liking him now. Really a fascinating, fascinating tale. But Tom Brady calls it a, calls it a career. He does so on social media. When um, when he did so, when he did so. It was really interesting because Brady, at first, at first, he did not actually thank the, um, he didn't actually thank the Tampa Buccaneers, right? Excuse me, the, the New England Patriots, right? Here, here's what, what, what Tom Brady said in a very long post. I've always believed the sport of football is an all-in proposition. If the one hundred, if a one hundred percent competitive commitment isn't there, you won't succeed. And succeed is what I love so much. Success is what I love so much about our game. There's a physical, mental, and emotional challenge every single day that's allowed me to maximize my highest potential. And I have tried my best, my very best, these past twenty-two years. There are no shortcuts to success on the field or in life. This is difficult for me to write, but here it goes. I'm not going to make that competitive commitment anymore. I have loved my NFL career, and I'm now time to focus my time and energy on other things that require my time and energy. I've done reflecting the past week and have asked myself difficult questions, and I am so proud of what we have achieved. My teammates, coaches, fellow competitors, and fans deserve 100% of me, but right now, It's best that I leave the field of play to the next generation of dedicated and committed athletes. To my Bucks teammates the past two years, I love you guys. I've loved going to battle with you. You have dug so deep to challenge yourself, inspire me to wake up every day and give you my best. I'm always here for you guys, and I want to see you continue to push yourselves to be your very best. I couldn't be happier what we accomplished together. All the Bucks fans, thank you. I didn't know what to expect when I arrived here, but your support, and embrace have enriched my life and that of my family. I've been honored to play for such a passionate and fun fan base. Uh, what a crew. 
the city of Tampa and the entire Tampa St. Pete region. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be a resident of such a fun place to live. I want to be invited to our next boat parade to the Glazer family. Thank you for taking a chance on me and supporting me. I know I was demanding at times, but you provided everything we needed to win. Your ownership was everything a player could ask for. To Jason Light, I want to thank you for your daily support and friendship. I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. I have been through free. I had never been through free agency, and I had some trepidation about how we could achieve success. Your leadership gave me confidence, etc. He thanks Bruce Arians. He thanks the Bucks. He thanks Alex Guerrero. He thanks his agents. He thanks his parents. He thanks his wife. He didn't thank the Patriots. Didn't thank the Patriots. The Patriots tweeted out, it was quite a ride. Congratulations to you, Tom Brady. And they put a boat with seven, but it's a duck boat with seven trophies in it. Why do you think... um, just a question. Byer, why do you think he didn't thank the Patriots? Maybe he felt he said his goodbye two years ago? I kind of think so. Kind of think so. What do you think, uh, Jason Stewart? Um, I, I think it's intentional. I mean, does Tom Brady and strike strike you as a guy who just kind of leaves something out? or I, It was purposefully done. Now, that doesn't mean that it couldn't be what Dan just said, that he, he thought he'd already done that. But when you're doing all those paragraphs and thanking everybody, you couldn't spend like three sentences on the Patriots just to cover yourself. It seemed intentional on my part. Um, now, what he did do was what, what quote tweet what the Patriots had said to him, I guess, as a, as a make good or whatever he was doing. But it was strange, though. Uh, Cowherd spent a, a, some time on his show today talking about how it's a non-story, no big deal. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I I don't know why he did it, and hopefully he'll address it at some point. Mm. Uh, what do you think, uh, John Ramos? Uh, I think everybody's right. I think he he felt like he, and you're right, uh, that he felt like he'd done it already. This was more of a spontaneous, the team he's with right now, giving love to them. I think it's kind of like you would figure that the Patriots was such a big part of his career that it's just – you don't really have to go too far into it with the Patriots. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of each of those things. And a little, little jab maybe, but for the most part, I think you felt like you kind of got that part of him already, and now here's what's happening today, which is, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their fans. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, don't th- I think you have to say something about the Patriots in that deal. You know, and, and he, can, he can do the all love in a, in a retweet of something they tweeted, and he can say he was only about, but, you know, he's thanking everybody. Except them, I, I I don't I don't love it. If you were a fan of the page, if you were a Patriots fan, Doug, would you be upset as a fan? I don't think, I don't think anybody. Like end of the day, it doesn't really care. Okay. Doesn't really matter. You know, like it it just doesn't matter that much to to most people. I don't I don't think. But I just I, I I'm not sure I understand. What I mean I I I think he he knew exactly what he was doing and why he did it. I just, I guess I don't know why. I don't get it. What's the, what's the win? What's the win? What What is possibly the downside in saying, oh, and hey, to everyone in New England, Bill and Mr. Kraft and the fans, um, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, any, anything, any line would suffice. But to not mention him at all, that 
that seems a little petty. Well, put it this way. It it didn't go unnoticed. I think uh, the New England, the Boston stations had a field day with it this morning. Uh, the fans definitely noticed. So that, that's what I'm saying. You're right. I don't know what the what the upside is. Maybe he was just kind of tweaking them for a few hours. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get it. I don't really get it, and I don't love it. You know, so I don't know. That one's a. It's just a weird one. It's just a kind of unnecessarily weird one. Buyer, do you think? I mean, it, it, I'm not wrong though, right? It like does. It may no. not matter, but it does feel like it matters I mean, a little. Like just one passing note yeah. of like, hey, he went on for nine Instagram pages. You know, like what's another one? <laughs> nine. Pages. I mean, or whatever it was. I, I thought I thought it was nine. Maybe it was six. I'm not sure. But what is another one when you go through the slideshow? And, and what is an what is a hey? Just thank you to everybody, New England, and list a bunch of names, and then and if anybody yeah. else has forgotten, I appreciate you as well. You know. But it's like everybody's telling us on how here's a guy who, you know, all these little things, details matter. And then he just happened to forget. Like, I don't buy that. Not anybody who buys that one. No, not when you've had three and a half days or more to even concoct this letter. Sure. Sure. Strikes me as very odd and a little, uh, a little small of him. I don't know. But, but what possibly could be the beef? How much money he made? How he was treated? I, I don't I don't get it. That that that's the one thing I I don't understand. Just cannot figure out for the life of me. What is the what is the win there? I Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just I was just going to say something like cuz it's this is something that I've always thought and it's not necessarily connected, but when we look at Peyton Manning's career, it's amazing to me on how much like his career is considered to be a part of the Denver Broncos, like in their history and in and, and who he is and what he is, when he spent a vast majority of his career in 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 Indianapolis with the Colts. But like I've always I've always kind of been in amazement on how much like how much juice Denver is getting out of those four years that Peyton was their quarterback, and it was two Super Bowls and it was a Super Bowl win. But really, when you look at his career, like he was, I mean, you know, if it, if Johnny Unitas is at first, yeah, he was a Colt. But like the Broncos are squeezing this out, and I'm wondering, like, I never thought that that would happen with Tom Brady, but now to see this with the Buccaneers and seeing how much you know run they're at least getting on this announcement, it's. It's really crazy to me to, to think that's, you know, how certain things are maybe viewed with these quarterbacks or, or how they want to be viewed as they move on from the game. But what were you going to say, Ramos? I was going to say, I, and I along those same lines, when we talk about Aaron Rodgers, he's like the big talk. If he does move on to another team, spends two years or whatever, somewhere three years, maybe wins the Super Bowl, and then he retires is his thing without leaving out the Green Bay Packers. I mean, uh, you know, that's what I would think of him as a Green Bay Packer. And I agree with Dan. I agree with, I think of Peyton Manning as an Indianapolis Colt. Uh, it's, it is it is interesting how you could just forget about a whole program. Uh, not that Peyton Manning did, because I don't think he, he did that, but that you could forget about a team that really was your, I guess Brett Favre kind of, well, they they kind of pushed he's come Favre back. out. Yeah, yeah, he's come back yeah. a little bit, yeah. He's come back, and, and, and there was no time in which Brett Favre uh, was ever thought of anything other than a Packer. Right, no yeah. one ever thinks of Brett and, Favre as the Viking, and the Jets and Vikings haven't necessarily embraced Favre. But like how the Broncos have embraced Manning, I think is 
is somewhat unique that has changed a little of the narrative. And I maybe maybe it's going to happen with Tom Brady in his two years in Tampa. As crazy as it sounds, that does sound crazy. Considering he won six Super Bowls, right? It wasn't yeah, like he didn't win. Years, he won one. you know, yeah. six Super Bowls in twenty years. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm with you, Byer. It is weird. Like, what are we doing here? The guy's a patriot, you know. He's always been a patriot. Always be viewed as a patriot, won't he? Sure feels yeah, that way. I think so. But just to even get this, like, to have this announcement and the. Get that much run for the Buccaneers is just shocking. No question. No question. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Are you shocked by what you saw? I am not. <laughs> I'm not shocked by what I saw. All right, coming up next, I want to get into this Brian Flores lawsuit. Um, we, we need to – we'll have buyer kind of get into the, the details, and then we'll just kind of discuss it because th- there are some damning allegations in the lawsuit – Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a good day. Where's the ah? There it is. Ah. Okay, so now we've had a chance to kind of dive into this uh, Brian Flores lawsuit. I've been able to read some of this stuff. And there's, there's a bunch of things, okay? So first there's the Rooney Rule which I am a proponent of, okay? I'm a proponent of. And what's interesting is, it's like, um, I'm not really sure how the Rooney Rule became a bad thing, right? Became a bad thing. And there were some proposals last year, it was last year, right, where there were proposals of even further punishments or uh, bonuses really for teams that chose to hire not just black coaches, but black front office executives, some of which have changed in the rules. So Brian Flores was fired by the Miami Dolphins. And if you want to know how he took it, the answer is not well. <laughs> He's suing the league with a class action lawsuit uh, claiming he wants to eliminate the NFL's racist hiring practices. Okay. Okay, um, so he he also goes into detail talking about Stephen Ross, his former boss and owner of the Miami Dolphins, and how Stephen Ross he alleges offered him a hundred thousand dollars to lose games to lose a game. Uh, that's a damning allegation. By the way, it is not in any way racially discriminatory. He also alleges that Stephen Ross wanted him to make a bump, like just happen to show up and meet with Tom Brady, whom we all know Tom Brady, one of the teams he considered when he left Tampa a year later was the Miami Dolphins. A damning allegation in terms of uh, trying to poach somebody's player and tampering, but you know what's not? Not racial discrimination. And... He feels like Vic Fangio was already the guy in Denver. That's why when John Elway and his GM showed up to interview him, they looked disheveled and like they'd been out uh, late drinking. Now, the first thing is, regardless of if the candidates were chosen previously, that they, um, if the candidates were chosen previously, previous to his interview, that, that does not 
make it racially discriminatory. You have to, it's, it's not, th- this is a lawsuit designed to get your attention, but dig a little bit. And those allegations, though they're damning against Stephen Ross and the Dolphins who fired him, they don't have anything to do with the color of his skin. Zero. Am I, am I wrong, buyer? Is there anything that can be taken as racially discriminatory from those particular well, uh, arguments? I, I, I think that the, the Rooney rule, uh, the original intent was, um, was a, a just rule, but I think that teams now um, don't use it in what the, the heart of the, the reason that it was designed for. And I think that's what Brian Flores is trying to point out. He got the job. Listen, this is a real story, okay? I have a couple of friends that are GMs in the league. In 18, he was, and he wasn't, it wasn't just because of the Rooney Rule, because I know a couple other uh, black coaches who were hired in that cycle. And, but, but the, what, the, what the Rooney Rule does, the design of it is challenges you to find a young uh, or a different, a different candidate than your normal traditional pool, and, if it's, and hopefully a black candidate, okay? And that's what, that's what he was. He got an interview for a couple of jobs. He was a linebackers coach. He'd been in the league nine years at the time. Like, that's relatively quickly. Okay? The next year, he's a defense coordinator. One year, he got the job. If I were him, I would say, like, hey, you know, the re-roll is actually pretty good. Got me in this cycle. Got me some interviews the year before I got my job. I, I just don't like the application of the Rooney Rule and how I feel like I was being used when I was in New York. Now, the Giants could easily sit there and go like, look, that's not really the case of what happened. You know, we searched for a general manager. The general manager came in. He had his favorite, but we wanted to listen to other people. And then we decided on a coach. None of that has anything to do with the fact that he's black. And I'm not disputing that there are instances where... Hey, we got interview. We got interview a minority candidate, even though we already found our our coach. But there are coaches that are hired that, you know, it's 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 like uh, Byron Leftwich. You know, Byron Leftwich wants the GM out, Trent Baalke out in Jacksonville. If he if a change is made, and there's a new general manager in Jacksonville. They're not going to interview any other candidates. Why? Because Byron Leftwich gets his guy. That's how business works. Jay Stu, what do you think? First of all, I think it's a great uh, talk show story. Great in this. that There's so much meat here. That Bill Belichick misfired text, all of us could relate to that. That nine feeling in your stomach when you send it to the wrong person. And then all of this. I mean, um, there, it's so serious. And I think a lot of people are going to pay for this. And it's it's kind of sad to be honest. I'm I'm shocked that he's doing this. This young in his career with so much in front of him, and it it, it shows you uh, how much integrity he has. I mean, yeah. you, you're kind of reminded of Kurt Flood. You're sacrificing your career basically to take a stand. Um, so from that respect, it's kind of admirable. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots of thoughts. The story is immense. Yeah, it's it's big. It's it's really, really big. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 
Rich Hornberger joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Former NFL lineman and teammate of Tom Brady who tweeted out that, of course, Tom did not thank you during his retirement uh, series of Instagram posts. But in all seriousness, why not a paragraph about the Patriots? Yeah, I found it interesting also because we were reacting to that live on air during my radio show in San Diego on Extra 1360. It was was kind of bizarre, to be perfectly honest with you, because he spent two decades of his career with the New England Patriots and with that coaching staff and certainly with Robert Kraft, the owner, and Bill Belichick taking a chance and drafting him in the sixth round. Um, You know, and I'll return to the reasons why I think that's so strange, but I'll kind of verge off that path for a second and just explain, like, for anybody who is not new to this but is only catching up with the Tom Brady story over the past, say, 10 years or so, forgets that Tom Brady – there were some rough spots early in his career. I mean, he was not a finished product coming into this league. He was talented. There's no question about it. But he was never, you know, this hyperbolic athlete that people lauded the way they did Josh Allen and they saw limitless potential. This was a guy who got passed over six times in terms of quarterbacks all the way up to almost the uh, 200th pick in the draft before he was selected by the New England Patriots in the sixth round. And he was behind, oh, who was it? Bishop? He was the fourth-string quarterback behind Bishop when he first signed in New England, and he had to earn his way onto the roster. I mean, it wasn't even a guarantee that he was going to make the roster as a sixth-round draft pick. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, from year two on, he made the league pay uh, for overlooking his talent in the first place, and, and he completely uh, r- r- he, he completely changed sport in the meantime. But, you know, this, this, was, this team was one of the few that actually stuck their na- neck out for him. So I do think it was a little strange that it didn't include any, you know, tip of the cap to the New England Patriots, to Robert Kraft, to Bill Belichick, or the New England fans. But then again, I guess, you know, you look at it on the other side of it. Um, he was retiring a Buccaneer. And then, again, you look at the fact that he eventually uh, retweeted the statements provided by Robert Kraft about getting to see uh, his career unfold and, and his adoration for Tom Brady, and he gave his love to Patriot Nation that way. So it was hours later, but it was a little, at first, reacting to the news as it hit the West Coast at 6.45 in the morning without there being a single reference toward New England. It, it was a little strange at first. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, let's get to the Brian Flores thing. Um, what do you have? You have? Do you know the? Do you know the list of the things that have been alleged in this lawsuit? Yeah, you may have to fill me in on some, but as far as I know, uh, he's alleging that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, uh, was willing to offer him as much as a hundred thousand dollars per loss in bonuses because. Uh, he's alleging that the Miami Dolphins wanted to tank this season to have a higher draft pick in this year's upcoming draft. Uh, He's uh, also alleging that Stephen Ross encouraged him to go after a quarterback who is currently under contract with another team, which is strictly forbidden. And then also alleging that 
the Broncos, the Giants, and the Bills, and then, you know, team, you know, whatever it is, John Doe team one through 29, essentially the rest of the leagues are, are, uh, they are basically together uh, providing no path for black head coaches um, to be hired in fair practice. They're just basically checking boxes to appease the Rooney rule. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot. There's a lot there. And if any of that is proven true in a court of law, and the fact that it was filed as a, a uh, class action means that he thinks others are going to jump in with him. You know, otherwise he would be an, indefin- um, an independent plaintiff on this lawsuit. Uh, so, uh, you know, look, there's there's a lot riding on this, uh, you know, potentially a coaching career. Um, you know, there's a lot riding on this in, in terms of major changes that could occur uh, in in the NFL. Um, this is this is this is gigantic. We've never seen anything like this in the history of this sport. To have a coach, I, I, not only, I think it's amazing, yeah. though. Like he was fired by a black general manager who he couldn't get along with, right? Like it's there's a, there's a bunch to it. You know, he's like, well, they so only much. brought me in. They brought in Leslie Frazier too. You know, they brought in all defensive coordinators, and the Giants end up circling back and taking the GM takes a guy who he worked with before. That's that's business. By the way, while he's and it, it, look, it, it if proven true. It's bad look for Stephen Ross, right? Terrible look for Stephen Ross, oh, and yeah. and very damaging. But in no part of those allegations is there has anything to do with racism. That, that makes no sense. You, you you have a class action lawsuit, which is a le- look. It's a legitimate discussion whether or not the Rooney Rule, the hiring practices are right. Why there's a disparity in the percentages, the numbers, etc., etc., etc. Right. So a very valid discussion, but lumping in. Stephen Ross allegedly offering money to tank games has nothing to do with racism. Zero. That's a non sequitur. They're not connected in any way, are they? Can you see a connection? I mean, uh, no, no, not in terms of the being paid to tank or, or being asked to go and break league rules by tampering, by trying to lure uh, a quarterback under contract with a different club to come to your club. No, like there's, I don't, I don't see any connection there. I think, I think obviously the whole lawsuit has been launched, um, you know, and it's multifaceted obviously. And there's just, there's the one edge to it that is looking to address hiring practice in the league. And then there's the other edge to it where if Brian Flores has text messages, if he has email proof, that Stephen Ross was willing to pay him bonuses uh, to lose games. I mean, that's damning evidence that could really, I mean, that could, that could harm the reputation of the league from so many different standpoints. I mean, think about betters and gambling. I mean, sports betting is being legalized state to state to state. It's becoming a tax buoy in certain states that, that we're getting close to bankrupt. Imagine if the integrity of the NFL is is going to be questioned because there are owners who are willing to allegedly owners who are willing to pay coaches to tank football games. I mean that's that is monumental in terms of allegations. And then tampering obviously any coach or 
general manager or owner who is involved in tampering. Again, if, if Brian Flores is able to provide proof, you know, whether it be text message or email or otherwise, that, that you know, an owner or anybody else affiliated with the owner was encouraging him to go after another quarterback. I mean, that, that would be so damning for the Miami Dolphins, you know, because Stephen Ross and the NFL, they're going to have to face off against each other and get in the room and figure out how to move forward from here. You know, there could be potential a monumental shift in ownership in the league over these allegations. I mean, this is this is dramatic. It, it, it is dramatic. I, the whole thing is 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 fascinating. Uh, let's get to the football games. Um, what happened to Pat Mahomes in the second half? That is such a good question. Um, I think old demons that we discussed all throughout the season, Doug, came back to revisit Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offensively. You know, I remember when the season started, you and I were talking about some of the issues that Patrick was having uh, going against defenses who were trying to make him play patient. And I told you, I think it was week six you had me on your show, and I said he's one of the least blitzed quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's working. Because when you get a lead, any kind of lead, whether it's three points, seven points, ten points, if you can widen the gap where you have the Chiefs chasing points and you're dropping uh, eight players into coverage or, or you're consistently dropping seven players in coverage and you're only rushing three or four up front and, and occasionally getting home with those three rushers or those four rushers, he's going to make a mistake because he doesn't want to check it down. He gets bored of throwing it to his tight end over the middle for a five-yard game. He gets bored of swinging it out to Jarek McKinnon. And so he's looking for the home run ball downfield. And when you're only rushing three, two things happen. One, eventually the rush is going to uncover and you're going to get sacked. And we saw that multiple times in the fourth quarter and overtime. And two, if you just heave it downfield, almost always you're, you're testing coverage. You're testing double coverage, sometimes triple coverage depending on where you go with the football, and that can lead to interceptions, which we saw in that AFC Championship game as well. I credit the Bengals for playing really patient defense, sticking with the game plan, and just changing the aggressiveness that they were defending the receivers downfield with because those referees, those officials, were keeping the flags in their pocket on defensive holding and pass interference calls. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um what can be said about the Bengals' defense? I know Mahomes was off. I know he tried to, you know, the last pass was indicative of trying to force the ball to Tyreek Hill. But this is, this is a group that two years ago was the worst maybe in the history of football statistically. And yet they held the Chiefs to three points in the second half and none in overtime. This is the second, second half they've held them to three points. I know that, look, Burrow's confidence, Burrow's game, Burrow's swag all works, but I do feel like we're missing a little bit on the Bengals' defense, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we certainly are. You know, that's a defense that got better as the season went along, and it goes a long way to provide confidence for a defense when your offense is playing the way the Cincinnati Bengals' offense was late in the season. There's so much faith in Joe Burrow. So the motto starts becoming this 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 banging drum in the background, like just get Joe the football back. He's going to make something special happen for us all. So I think they started playing better defense as a team because we're not talking about a defense that's, that's surrounded by stars. You know, this isn't the Los Angeles Rams. 
but the Bengals, they play aggressive, hard-nosed, scrappy, high-effort defense. I mean, they chased Mahomes all around the football field in the first half, and then they did it in the second half. They never relented. You know what happened, though? I think, look, Patrick Mahomes, there, there are plays. I mean, that, that first-half touchdown to Kelsey where they connected. I mean, he must have ran 50 yards before he finally got that ball out to Kelsey. He tried to do that in the second half. You lose your legs, you lose your wind after a while. And this Cincinnati Bengals defense, they never relented. They came after him, they chased him all over that football field, and I think it showed up in the uh, in the box score. All right, let's get to the Rams and the Niners. Um, how were the Rams able to stop the Niners running the football? Aaron Donald in the middle of that defensive line just playing <laughs> – just a freakish level of physicality on the defensive front this this uh, this postseason. I mean, the best players on your team, you know, the franchise guys, this is the time of year where they need to, to really turn it on, and Aaron Donald's doing that because everybody concentrates on how much pressure he gets on the passer in the passing game, and that's great. But he occupies sometimes two blockers. There are occasions where he's occupying three blockers in the run game, which means those linebackers can run free. You know, when you have an opportunity to play downfield or, excuse me, downhill defense from a linebacking standpoint, and you have clear lanes to the running back or the cutback lanes because you got your big hoss number 99 up front just keeping you clean the entire game. I mean, that makes it a whole lot easier to make those tackles closer to the line of scrimmage. So that was a big help. And, uh, and then it just came down to the Niners making too many mistakes and the Rams hanging on. Yeah, the, okay, so is Matt Stafford totally off the hook? I mean, he did throw an arm punt that was dropped, but are, is he totally off the hook now? No, 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 no. Matthew Stafford in no way, shape, or form is, uh, is – is off the hook. I think over two postseason games now, he's played one full game, you know, where, where he's playing at the level you'd expect a star quarterback who you traded two first rounders to play, you know, but you, you can't play a, a single half in the Super Bowl. You need to play a complete game, especially against the Bengals, because that offense just doesn't look like there are really any answers. I mean, the Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, they threw everything except the, the kitchen sink at him. And after getting sacked nine times, he still found a way to win that football game. So Burrow special, he's got stardust sprinkled on him. And so Matthew Stafford needs to be able to throw the football effectively, not make a mistake that's going to cost his team the game. But I sort of feel like, boy, especially in that second half, it didn't. It, it, it sort of looked like both of these teams were trying to lose that football game. And at a certain point, you want your quarterback to hop out of the sidecar and you know, rev the engine on the on you know on the the, the saddle seat, and really kind of get the motorcycle going down the freeway. And we never really saw that from him. He's going to have to play the game of his life in the Super Bowl to really sort of make this 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 whole story arc make sense for the Rams. Stuck Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, so which is it? Is it build organically from within? and get the right quarterback the way the Bengals did? Or is it go after big-name guys, you know, no matter what, trade away all your draft picks the way the Rams have? You know, everybody wants to make it out like the Rams' way is the way, but the Bengals have done this a, a completely different way. What's the way to build a team to get to get here? 
Man, gosh, if, if I had that answer, I'd be getting paid $10 million in the front office of one of these teams, right? You know, the, the, the way I'll answer it, and it may sound too diplomatic, because, um, but it's just the way I feel, is both of those both of those tactics can be successful. You're, like you mentioned, you're seeing it with the Rams. You're seeing it completely differently, but just as effective with the Bengals. I lean toward the way the Bengals are doing it, though, and here's why. Because Joe Burrow is so much cheaper than Matthew Stafford. I mean, if you can, if you can hit the lottery and you can guess right on a Joey Burrow, on a Justin Herbert, on a Trevor Lawrence, we'll see, right? You know, they're hoping down in Jacksonville that they found it. If you can get it right, and then you build around that rookie quarterback contract, I mean, that is the ideal. And you have this short window, but you can get a lot done in three years on that rookie contract before you even need to have the conversation about restructuring and paying long-term money to your star player at the most important position on the football field. As soon as they went away from – you know, the Sam Bradford, $50 million before you touch the field signing bonuses. And they went to this new slotted draft where you, you kind of have to earn it on your first contract before you get really broke off. Once they did that, it changed the whole paradigm of the way teams are built. A lot of these teams want to get younger. Of course, you're always going to have your, your Aaron Rodgers and your Tom Brady's and your, your Russell Wilson's who people will bend over backwards for even as they enter their 30s and, frankly, now their 40s. The young guy in hitting the lottery in the draft. Rich Hornberger, former NFL offensive lineman, of course, co-host of Fox Football Sunday with Steve Hartman each Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 1 to 5 Eastern Time. 